When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are talking to the author of Whole Child, Whole Life, 10 Ways to Help Kids Live, Learn, and Thrive. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. If we aim for wholeness, can we prevent mass shootings, improve mental health, and decrease division? Maybe. Today, we are talking with Stephanie Malia Kraus, author of Whole Child, Whole Life, 10 Ways to Help Kids Live, Learn, and Thrive. She's also the author of Making It, What Today's Kids Need for Tomorrow's World. Stephanie is a parent of two sons and a writer with a background in education and social work. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here, especially as a mom of two boys. How old are your boys right now? They are 10 and 12. So one will be in fifth grade next year. We're recording the final week of school and the other my first baby will be in seventh grade next oh, year. <laughs> a whole Janet new- and I are both going, Ooh, that for me, that's because I remember my seventh grade. That was not a pleasant <laughs> experience. And Janet, what's your Ooh all about? Yeah. Seventh grade is a really challenging developmental time for all kids. But I think especially for boys, it's just kind of a year of heaviness and they're in their bodies in a different way at that age but they'll grow through it. This poor kid, he's being raised by a developmentalist. And so we have books about his body and puberty and they're just kind of around. And he's like, mom, will you stop talking about it? This isn't cute. And I'm like, yes, but you're here. You've arrived in this stage. Yes. And more is better than not enough information. So here you go, kid. So we're talking whole child, whole life, this concept of wholeness, which I think we understand a little bit intuitively, but I'm going to start by asking you this. How did we become broken, not whole? Like where do our kids and society, where are these gaps that we really need to address? Well, way to dig right into the deepest uh, question right away. So where did we become broken? Where are we not whole? I'm going to give a couple of stories, I think, from my boys in the last couple of weeks that for me reflect what happens when they're not able to live into their wholeness and fullness and the moments in which we don't even realize it's not happening. So um, we are native Hawaiian and living in the Midwest. I'm very fair skinned. It would be um, difficult for you to see us on the street and peg us as Pacific Islander. And, and yet 
our Hawaiian language and culture and the foods that we eat and everything permeate what happens in our home and with our family. It's a big part of who we are. Mm-hmm. My boys have Hawaiian middle names. They use that in our house, but sometimes they're embarrassed in the middle of the country um, in a kind of rural area, you know, in the Midwest. I don't imagine there's many other people, probably none in their class that have Hawaiian names. Oh yeah. And we're Jewish on the other side. So they're Jewian and they're definitely the only Jewish kids and the only Hawaiian kids in their school. So I finally had the opportunity to take them to Hawaii last year, last May, a year ago. And, um, the boys were invited to a speaking engagement I had with a bunch of educators. And of course their Hawaiian heritage was there in abundance because other people shared it. The food was there, everything else. But my 10 year old, he was given a name tag and he wrote in big letters, the name that we call him at home, his Hawaiian name. And he showed me the name tag and he said, mom, look, I'm me. Oh, just pierced my heart. And I realized he's walking through life, not feeling like he can integrate all of the parts of himself in all of the spaces where he spends time. Sure, sure. So that's one example. I think the other example very quickly with my older son is that he's a baseball player. And right now he's playing on a select team and a rec team. And they are very different cultures. Yeah. And who he can be and how he can show up is so different. And so last night we actually took the 10 whole life practices from this book. And I walked through almost as an inventory with him about how, what, which of the qualities were being met on each team and then talking about the difference. And one of the teams, all 10 light up. And this is the team that he's really enjoying and feeling like he's his most abundant self. He's playing better. He's, you know, it's life giving. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, I'll just wrap that by saying, we talked about that doesn't mean he has to leave the second team. He just needs to recognize that there are certain aspects that he may not ever get from it qualities of healthy relationships that will need to be found elsewhere, qualities of community that will need to be found on other teams. And that it just needs to be a a decision that he's aware of. So when we think about brokenness, for me, it's, are we setting up conditions for kids in which they can bring the whole of themselves, even as that whole is emerging and evolving? And that that exploration is a welcome thing as well. This framing makes a lot of sense to me and really helps me understand because as you're talking, I'm thinking about, and Janet, you probably are as well, you know, we all have these different chunks of our life and different places and groups and people we spend time with, things we do, and you're almost more yourself in some places than in others. Like, there are certain places where you know, like, okay, I, this sense of humor is not correct in this situation, or um, there are some situations where you don't talk about your religion, perhaps. There are some where you don't talk about your family issues. Um, really interesting. My next question was going to be, you know, when when it comes to wholeness, do you think the situation is any different for boys versus girls, gender nonconforming? I think it, I think it's all unique in some ways, but I'd like to get your take on that. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's keep that thread going. So I think where brokenness shows up is where a kid persistently and chronically is in environments and experiences where those lights aren't on. So across environments, they don't feel like they belong or that there's community across mm -hmm. an entire day. They're not in connection with people who are healthy and nourishing for them, or their basic needs are persistently not being met. And so when we think about boys, I think that we always need to see kids in context. And mm -hmm. so the question then is, what is the whole of what we know about kids? And what is the whole of what we know about boys or most boys? How do they develop? What health issues um, or differences show up and at what time, what behaviors may be because their brain's executive functioning just hasn't developed yet. And yet the tendency and the bias is to see them as behavior issues. And so I, I think that your question of how does this issue of wholeness or the need for wholeness for boys show up in a new or different way has to be unpacked around the very first chapter of Whole Child, Whole Life, which is around determinants and demographics, the crude profiles that we draw of kids based on what they look like, what we perceive, um, what we think that we know about them. Mm. And understanding that that can often be harmful and wrong, but it still has an outsized impact on how they experience the world and how the world experiences them. And so for my boys in the Midwest, in a very like sport dominated, masculine, meat eating community, they're kind of these like tender, sensitive vegetarians. And so I watched the wrestling of even in the small moments, can I play with Lego and not play football? Um, you know, what does it mean to be popular? What does it mean to be a, a boy in this space? Um, and so I'll go back to the very first thing I started. In order for them to develop in the healthiest, most secure way and to have the space to explore and decide who they want to be and where they most come alive and to sort of have those optimal conditions for learning and development, they're going to need adults. So people and places where um, they can show up however they are. And if they are only showing up at home, in school, at camp, and in community, in places that assume boys here at this age and stage act like this, like this, do this, behave like this, then it's going to really impede their ability to become their fullest selves. And I think what we see down the road, and we see this with the spikes in mental health, Jen, that I know that you've been writing and talking about is that chronic suppression over time can lead boys mm. to such dramatic, private, undisclosed mental health struggles and emotional challenges. And so the the speed of the spikes in loneliness and violence and mental health issues is just so dramatic. And that deserves, that deserves special attention. I think. Janet, I know that as you're listening to Stephanie and, and she's talking about this and, and, and kids, boys need places where they can 
show up how they are and how they really are. I know that you are thinking of your experience in the first grade classroom. Mm -hmm. I know that you are thinking of the experiences of many of the boys you work with because we agree with you. And that's all too often not reality for so many of our, we'll say boys because it's on boys podcast. It's true for all children, of course. Schools especially. And it's, you know, I think that Jen and I struggle with this all the time in every conversation. It's like, we can make these little changes in our homes. We can adjust, we can pivot, we can get the books, we can have all the conversations with our boys and then they go out the door. And it's so appalling, I will say, to see, I mean, I've been doing this work for 25 years and to walk into a school and still see the same things happening, still hear that recess is still being taken away because he can't sit still. It's it's disheartening. It's disheartening. Our boys are just up against so much out in the world. And, and I really know that our parents are striving and our educators are too, but it's the systems that around them, the environment that you talk about, the the sports, you know, raw, raw sports mentality that meat eating, as you said, Midwestern uh, masculine stereotype, because it is a stereotype. And I think your book addresses these things in so many ways. And you're you know, I mean, Jen and I have read a lot of parenting books over the years and and your book is so clear. I love charts. So you got the charts, you've got the, you know, it's just laid out so beautifully. The illustrations are are really friendly, I'd say. I see in your book, you go into places that I haven't seen in other books. I was, so I was just thinking, Janet, as you were talking that my, what you were saying, and I, you're a former first grade teacher. I was a fifth grade teacher, a pre-K teacher, middle school coach. I ran a high school, right? So the whole spectrum of K-12 from pre-K to 21 year olds who hadn't graduated yet and very different scenarios. I worked with young boys who had been a part of gangs all the way to young boys who were quite affluent. I was a house mom at one point in a, a boarding school. And so real big differences, but something you said reminded me of a part of the why that I wrote this book, which was any adult who spends time with children, that kid is in their care and we don't get the cross training we need in child development and learning and health and all of the pieces that are essential to the science and art of raising children. Um, not just parents, right? My fourth grader, the one who had his name, he came alive when he wrote his name on the name tag. This week, most weeks, I drop him off at school at 8 a.m. And then he's a part of an after-school program at school. And so I don't pick him up until 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then he goes to our community park and he does soccer or he goes to his brother's baseball game which means that for the overwhelming majority of his waking day, he is being raised by his teachers, his after-school program staff, many whom are young themselves, and volunteer parents who have this incredibly outsized influence and impact on their kids' lives. 
And whatever they believe to be true about my child and about young boys is impacting who he's going to become and how he's experiencing his life, because that is almost all of his hours. And Mm -hmm. so that compelled me to write this book of like, actually, we all need to be reading the same thing. There is a, a bundle of information that any of us who are caring for kids who are responsible for them at any point of the day, regardless of what we call them, my child, my student, my client, my patient, that we all need to know. And I think the the fine point here is, especially with boys, this book was written in response to what was happening during the pandemic, but was meant to be timely and timeless. And so when it comes to issues of grief and trauma and stress that also in terms of what does it mean for boys to be able to express and to heal and to live out grief when it can look like anger, grief, when it can look like behavior shifts in executive functioning because stress is high or scarcity is high. All of those things just have to be contended with. One of the things that I hear you saying that I support, and I know you do, Janet, like, we all need to care about our children. You are really issuing a call to get back to this idea of community in the village again. And certainly, you know, I have um, unique responsibilities to my children. I signed up for that. But I care about the other children. And I want us all to care about the children. And I want the others who interact with my children to care about them too, because I can't do this alone. And my job as a parent, so much harder if, for instance, you know, my boy's coach has a very um, boys don't cry approach and very harsh and some, you know, sometimes abusive. And this is this is stereotype. I know it is. And there are fantastic coaches out there. I'm not painting all coaches with one brush, but it is helpful when we are all working from the same set of facts and basics because what you said we know a lot about what children need to thrive and now it's a matter of sharing that information and creating structures and communities that we can share that and all support one another in doing it how we can support our boys and how brain science gets involved after these messages from our sponsors this episode is sponsored by by heart Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B Y. H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. 
This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash envoys. That's Try, T-R-Y dot easy melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on boys. This is something that you both know, but for listeners who may not realize the brain science, kids as they're growing up are wired and rewired by their environments and experiences. And so the other piece of this is What we may know about raising kids or teaching kids or counseling kids or coaching kids from years past has to be updated and upgraded based on what has Mm -hmm. been experienced the past few years. And Mm -hmm. that takes an sort of an earnest, honest, humble inventorying of like, oh, things actually have changed. It's not just a gut feeling or it's not just a reactive experience I'm having what don't I know that I don't know? And where do I go to try and find that information? One of the things you say um, in your book, I loved this, this sentence. And it's towards the beginning. I don't, I don't have the book in front of me at the moment. But you wrote, kids are not cogs. But when we view them without the background details, we tend to treat them that way. And, you know, we've all seen this happen. Frankly, we have all done this when, you know, you get a kid and you don't know that much about him, whether it's your friends, your child's friend coming over for the first time or the new child in your classroom. And then you talk about um, character traits, competencies and quirks. What are the differences between those and how do they help us get a picture of a unique human in front of us? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. And the other day I was having a conversation amazingly about that sentence because somebody else had read it and it was the one for them that they pulled out. And what I said was, have you ever said something? And as you're saying it, you're like, oh, I just gave myself my own insight. I did. Yes. Really so That's I why trying- I do a podcast, Stephanie. <laughs> I was trying to explain it and, and the way that I said it, hopefully it will help you and your listeners. It helped me. Was I said, can you imagine, okay, Janet, you and I both taught, can you imagine going to one of your students who loved you and saying, you're just my student? Or if there is a coach and the kid shows up every day to practice and at the end of the practice, the, um, the kid goes, you know, like, 
hey, coach, we're all going to get ice cream. Do you want to come? And the coach says, you're just my athlete. We can feel, right? There's something emotional that happens in us. It's so reductionistic. It's so dehumanizing. And so kids are bringing their whole human selves onto the field, into the school building. And for them, you might see them as just a student or just an athlete, but that's not how they're experiencing every interaction. You know, you said that uh, kids bring them whole selves in. And I just, as you were saying it, pictured, you know, the enthusiasm with which uh, preschoolers will run into the classroom and, and tug on a teacher and tell them all about whatever their thing is. Little kids pretty freely bring them whole selves into a situation. Middle schoolers, not so much. That is a learned behavior, isn't it? They are watching to see where their wholeness is welcome mm-hmm. and where it's not. So, okay, I'm not going to forget your question about character and competencies and quirks. Yes. I'm going to go down this rabbit trail just for a second. So there's a practice at the very end of the book called Seeking Awe and Wonder. And it is about the spiritual development of kids, um, not necessarily in a religious context, although religion can support when it's done well, uh, the spiritual development of kids. But the, the theory is, and the, the science is that kids have this inborn spirituality that connects them to seeing the world as wonderful and wondrous, bigger than they are, that they're a part of something. So you go back to the enthusiasm of these preschoolers. Well, in adults, they have found that people like Albert Einstein, who I quote in that chapter, who continue to experience life, we've maybe heard the quote, like with the awe of a child or with the wonder of a child, that that actually is a very protective factor against adversity, maybe one of the most powerful protective factors against adversity. So back to learned behaviors, the working theory among scholars is that if we could continue to just encourage and nourish the natural inborn awe and wonder that little kids bring into spaces, that they may never have to lose that, that they would have a layer of protection that would go with them as they encounter this really challenging world. And so that actually is a great segue to character competencies and quirks. So this is the first part of the book for listeners is very informational and reflective. It's trying to give very good grounding on, well, who is a whole kid? How do we understand their demographics, their determinants, their health profile, their developmental profile, the map that they're on, the people and places in their life? And so the last chapter is called Strengths and Struggles. And it's about how do you bring a kid into high definition? And the way that I think about this, right, is that you might know my child's race, gender, ethnicity, who they live with, all the things in a data program. You might have ideas about how they live and what opportunities and resources they have, any health issues that have been disclosed developmentally where they are. But to truly know my kid is to know the moment they walk in the door, how they are. They good? Something up? What's going on? And to also have a very clear sense of what it means when they are doing and being in the world. 
what strengths they bring into a space. And what is so powerful about this, so there are these competencies, these skills that people used to think were innate. You were either good at them or you weren't. But we now know from the research is they can be strengthened and taught. And that's true of character as well. A lot of it's modeled, but we really mm. can... My, my girlfriend, Gina, would say nudge and nurture. We can nudge and nurture these traits through the experience of relationships and community and, and experiential learning and all kinds of things. And so I talk about the thing that brings our kids into high definition is knowing who they are in their being. So what their values are, what what's important to them, what interests them, what they're really good at doing and what they're not so good at doing. And then the quirk part, I talked about it as kind of the universe's signature on each child. And I tell a story in the book about a teacher who had um, elementary school kids take their quirkiest traits and write a story about it being a superpower and then share it out loud. Ah. Yes. It's yeah. just something to think about. Yeah, I'm thinking about, oh, that would be an, an, an interesting exercise for adults as well. I know. I'm like, wait, what would I write about? I don't know. I gotta, what I'm going to think about this all day, Janet. You too. We'll have to figure out what each other's quirks are. I don't know what my quirks are. My 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 daughter would. I maybe I'll ask. I know. I'm like I know. As soon as I ask my children, they're gonna be like, "Well, mom, <laughs> there's this and this and this and this." Yeah, Janet. I was just gonna say your, your comment is an important one because quirks are often not visible to us, but they are visible to other people because they're that signature part of ourselves. They're just kind of a part of our wiring, and so when kids get bullied because of them or they get made fun of for some habit or some something or some way that they talk or some way that they act, it is a very intimate hurt because it's not something they could imagine doing differently. That's so fascinating. That just brought up an experience. I moved from Delaware to Missouri when I was in seventh grade. I got seventh to grade. We told you. There it is. Great trauma. Try moving in the middle of the school year in seventh grade. It was crazy. But the kids made so many comments, made fun of me because of my accent. And I, I mean, what? This is, I don't, I didn't even know I had an accent. This is just how I talk. So that's what you're talking about is these things that we can't necessarily see because it's us. Other people around us can. And People who are inclined to bully others. Ooh, that's just such fodder for uh, bullying. So interesting. I want to, I of course didn't read the whole book, but just going through it a little bit, there were a couple things that stood out to me that I thought this would be interesting to share with our listeners. And this is in the first section of the book. I want you to talk about Inflammation, for one thing, I don't think we've talked about that on on the podcast of how inflammation affects us. Inflammation and imbalance. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. 
But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y, dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S, dot com forward slash onboys. So um, truth be told, this ended up being the longest chapter in the book. This comes from a chapter, Brain and Body, because Janet, what you said, I myself am a mom, as we've well established, but also an educator and a social worker. In all of my education and social work training, to become a teacher, a school leader, a social worker, I never took a class on the basics of the interrelatedness between common health conditions and behavior and learning. And I have no idea why. I was required to take CPR and first aid, but I had not a clue that imbalances like iron deficiency, vitamin D, that pediatricians will tell you are so common can cause some of the most common behavior issues in classrooms, in youth programs, and at home. What we see as symptoms of depression or ADHD might be depression and ADHD, but could also have incredible contributing factors and maybe be entirely resolved by changes in diet, by changes in supplements like vitamin D or iron, changes in sleep, And so what I wanted to do in the chapter on the brain and body was first ground it in a deeply personal story, which was my 12-year-old boy who wrote the preface of the book, as you both know, it's so powerful to see his words right up. It's lovely. You guys read it just for that. If you read nothing else, read the intro. You're raising a wonderful human, Stephanie. He is surpassing me already. I mean, it's so cool to watch him form himself. So he got honest about this incredibly scary mental and physical health issue that we had, where basically overnight in the middle of the pandemic, I'll tell a very abbreviated version of the story. He suddenly developed intense symptoms of OCD and it included anxiety and and tics. And it started with a fear of dying and getting sick, but it was the middle of the pandemic. So even I met my husband in social work school, we're both social workers. I'm a teacher. We've been at this parenting thing for a while and we did not pick up on what was happening, but it progressed. And when it turned to 
stove and fire, we knew something was really wrong and that it wasn't a fear of getting COVID. And we were lucky to find a therapist who specialized in childhood OCD. And the first thing he said to us was, is he sick? And we said, no, he's not sick. And he said, I just need you to take him to the pediatrician and get him tested for strep throat. And we thought this guy was a loon. We're like, he has no symptom of strep. What? But as I told my husband later that night, strep testing is so non-invasive and I would hate myself if my kid was walking around without strep. So it was, um, I took him the next day. He got swabbed. If you remember with kids, they do the rapid Mm -hmm. comes back in office and then they send out the results. Well, I was so embarrassed to have them test my kid with no symptom of strep that I took him and left before the rapid results. I'm so sorry to waste your time. Yes, exactly. I'm so sorry, you know, covering my eyes. Um, And they called me from the car and they said, my God, Stephanie, you're not going to believe this. He has strep. Wow. Like it came back so fast, right? This kid has strep throat. And I could trace back to a really bad case of strep that I was sure we hadn't fully gotten. So it turns out that inflammation in the body can trigger an inflammatory response in the brain, which we have to remember the brain is a part of the body. Mm-hmm. And turn on the lights for any kid who has a genetic predisposition to OCD or anxiety or tics for that to develop. So listeners, I want to to double down on this and emphasize this because if you haven't heard this before, yes, it sounds a little crazy. It sounds a little out there. It sounds like, is this true? You know, my background is in health. You know, I'm a registered nurse. You know, I write about health. Yes, this is true. And not widely known. Stephanie, the article that I wrote and published relatively recently um, about teenage boys and mental health, it didn't make it into the article because only so much does. But one of the boys I interviewed is a 16-year-old who had the same thing happen when he was like 10 or 11, but nobody understood what was happening to him at first. And this is true for so many, many people. I mean, you got very lucky frankly, that the first person you took your son to knew about this relationship because many don't. So parents, just some information to tuck into the back of your brain. Uh, Strep tests are, you know, like you said, not super invasive. They're not pleasant. Nobody likes getting the back of your throat swab, but it's sure worth looking into. It sounds like he had strep, but it wasn't totally cleared up. So it was living there. Yeah. It was just living and breathing there. And you had other symptoms, probably like tummy, you know, you can have other symptoms of strep, um, but we weren't picking up on it. And so, so that what you just said, Jen, how was it possible to get through more than a decade of parenting, more than a decade of teaching and school leadership and never knowing that a common childhood illness could cause so much. And that's what took me down that research. Here's how, here's how, because it wasn't widely known that long ago. And this is part of what you're saying. What we know about kids, what we know about development, what we know about health, that information evolves as we know more. So when I was a kid and I had a ton of strep throat, as did my siblings, like nobody knew 
about this. It's really only been within recent years that there's been more knowledge of this this link. And you're right, when you say it out loud, some of it sounds so like, how did we not know this? The brain is part of the body, duh. But we didn't know this. And so it's, I think those of us who are learning these things do have a responsibility to share it with others because um, it will be better for all of our children when we share this knowledge. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, for people who like the health stuff and, and like when Jen talks about it on the podcast, so they used to think that the brain body barrier was way more dense than it, it, than it actually is. And so we've learned so much from the science of adolescence to childhood health, um, that it is important to update. So back to inflammation. So in the book, I talk about we think about like the Better Business Bureau for like good um, house repairs and contractors. So I say like our BBB as people who take care of kids is the brain, the body and the belly because we have mm. learned just so much about the connection and the nervous system and the sort of super highway in the body that travels from the gut into the body and into the brain. And importantly, young people who have experienced trauma mm -hmm. and young people who live in traumatic and toxic stress environments experience chronic inflammation. And some can even be born inflamed because of genetic, historic, generational trauma that gets passed down. And the good news is, um, and there's so much, one of the reasons I like the book so much is because it's packed with so many other scholars and scientists work. And the really hopeful thing is when we know it, we can address it. Mm -hmm. It's the not knowing that can really slow or stall or just mess up development and well-being. I want to shift into, this is a, a bit of a segue into the second part of your book, the whole life practices. And, and um, I think many of our listeners probably know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, we all need shelter, we all need belonging. And you expand on that into these other four additional needs that children need that we all need. Tell us about those. So you take on two very well-known, like Maslow, two very well-known graphs that many of us have learned in school or as we were becoming professionals, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But actually in the brain and body chapter, I also take on the food pyramid, which it turns out is wrong. And we should all know that also. So I won't go to the food pyramid, but in terms of Maslow. So um, what I hear you saying is any chart that's a triangle pyramid shape, I should be a little suspicious of. Is this what you're telling me? I think a hundred percent. Yes. Oh, got it. Got it. <laughs> so to that end, Jen, um, what I suggest in the meet basic needs is that we actually need to flatten that triangle and understand that kids have basic needs, period. They have basic needs and they all need to be met and that some can be met temporarily in the absence of others. So what Maslow would have said is you can't possibly experience purpose and love and significance if you don't have food and water and housing. And I'm here to tell you both from personal experience and working with young people who are living in extreme 
chronically impoverished conditions, that you absolutely can experience significance and love and purpose, even when you are experiencing real issues, finding the money you need, the food you need, and the housing you need. But that doesn't diminish the fact that you need both. Right. So what I try to put out there in this chapter, some is very practical. So if you work with kids, if you have kids, just like we should all know about those common infections and inflammation, we also should be aware of different public benefits that might be helpful at different times in life. Nobody's really immune from needing that. And all of us can come into a situation, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, our own family, or somebody we work with where benefits are really helpful. And so I just give that kind of level of like practical, Hey, I do it in the mental health chapter too, of like, here are types of therapy, here are types of benefits, but at a more informational level, I wanted to unpack that young people. I think about young people really from birth all the way into 25. I mean, so the, the whole growing up period, Mm -hmm. um, that they actually have more basic needs than what Maslow talked about, that children, including tweens and teens, need time for play. They need downtime and they need purpose. They need a sense that they're in this world for some reason, or there's some, some reason for what we're doing, what we're doing. I think that these, um, and then additionally, they need movement and sleep and other things that adults need too. So the big takeaway here is, Number one, what is good for kids is mostly good for us too. Yes. Number two is kids need more of some things. Kids need play. Kids need rest. And so when going back to boys, going back to our conversation about sports or theater or camp or whatever else, when young people are overscheduled, and overstimulated for extended periods of time, and everything is overly structured, and there isn't space for downtime and for unstructured play, it actually has, I think, the opposite impact than what we're going for. Because what we're going for is we want to give them great experiences, Um, but they actually need that processing time to discover. And the other basic need for kids is novelty. They need to be learning and growing by design. And if they're sitting and bored and there's those synapses aren't firing, a fundamental basic need is not being met. This really speaks to um, our schools. So much of our culture, we focus on academics almost to the exclusion often of play downtime and exploration. So if you're thinking about wholeness, you know, we're focused on this part and we're leaving out these big, big chunks that children need to thrive. And so I know Janet, you and I have been trying to get this message across for a long time, but seriously, people dial back the focus on the academics, Mm -hmm. dial it back. Learning is so important. I agree with you, but learning happens in a million different contexts. And for children, play, downtime, exploration, community. Those are the parts where I think most kids in America need that extra support because it's it's not built in. I think too, as you're as you're talking, there's 
I have some of my family coaching clients, their sons are in like your son in two different baseball leagues and they love soccer and they want to do all these things. And you think as a parent, okay, well, he loves that. He, he's thriving quote unquote. It's okay. If he's scheduled all weekend doing tournaments and practice and all the things, because it seems like he's enjoying it and he's happy. And yet we as the adults, what you're saying is we need to hold these other things in a different way than our child is. Our child not might not necessarily choose downtime. I was with my grandson last night trying to get him to sleep. And after dad had tried to get him to sleep, he's 14 months. And I really realized like dad was letting him get up and get a book and come back to the lap. And then it was just, it was continual because this little boy could not stop his day. I went in there and it's like, you're sitting on my lap. I'm holding you. It's time to lay your head down. We have to regulate, co-regulate, dictate even that it's time to stop. It is time for downtime. We're not going to that tournament. We're not doing that extra sport thing. The parent has to choose. The child may not choose because it's fun. It's great. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. Yet holding these different essentials for them is helping them thrive, helping their mental health, health and their well-being. So I want to share a part of my background that is not going to feel like it connects, but I can imagine a listener being like, Yeah, but I'm trying to get them ready for college and I want them to have a good life. I actually spent years working nationally in higher education and workforce development that I am a go-to person. I ran a national credentialing campaign. I've spoken nationally and internationally on the future of work. I was just published in a book last week on a book called Rethinking Work. And I bring that up because the attention to academic achievement is directly connected to the hope of college and mm-hmm. careerness and being okay. And what I want you to hear deeply fundamentally that you're probably experiencing in your own life is that the world of work is shifting in very dramatic ways. And also we're living longer and working longer. And so we have to, as parents and educators and counselors, and you know, if you're raising kids, working with kids are both expand our goal from college and career ready academic achievement to what does this kid need for a long life, a livable life and a life that they love. And that is the rubric that I'm using in my own head. And what you said, Janet, is the most important piece, which is I look at my kids and I know that they can't do it without my help that there are pieces that they will internalize over time. So the 10 whole life practices are meant where we are first practicing it for them and in support of them, but eventually that they are internalizing it themselves and they become self-care practices. Um, But just hear me strongly at the risk of redundance Young people could end up having a 60, 70, even 80 year working life. That's how much scientists are projecting lifespans could last. That's a lifetime of work. And that means that we are preparing them to need to not only endure that much life, 
but to enjoy that much life. And a part of that is recognizing everything does not have to get smushed in to a couple of years. And so much of the foundation for potential 100 year life as expectation, not exception, gets laid, the groundwork, the cornerstone gets laid in these first two decades. I love that. Um, we could keep talking to you all day because you have so much good stuff in here. And I do think we should have you back to dig into these some, some of these topics more deeply. This idea of wholeness really requires us to, to pull back, to pull back and look at the big picture. And, you know, we can't operate from that that perspective all the time. Then sometimes you zoom in and you focus on something and every kid and situation is unique, but wholeness, listeners, you know this, if you focus too strongly on any one part of your life, things eventually get out of whack and that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for our kids. Stephanie, um, I know that, you know, this book is about to be out in the world. It will be out by the time this uh, interview's out. Where can people learn more about the book and maybe engage with you? I think you have some book tours and other things going on. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the easiest, most memorable way on the, if you're listening while you're driving or cooking or walking is you can just go to wholechildwholelife.com. You can also go to stephaniemaliacrauss.com. Any one of those forms or signups is going to get back to me. Um, and I would love to be in touch with you. I'm on all the different social media platforms too, but you know, grab a copy of that book by going to wholechildwholelife.com or whatever place you buy your books. Um, but that's the way to get in contact with me too. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experience, and uh, your enthusiasm for supporting all of our children. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Wow. We really enjoyed this conversation with Stephanie. I hope it was informative to you also. We hope to have her back. If you found value in this podcast, please share it with a friend, share it with a teacher, school administrator. There is so much in this brief 50 minutes. And as always, we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. I am Janet Allison of boysalive.com and my co-host is Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online masters of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.